God, that is red. <laughs> oh my God, guys, it is 10.20 p.m. Yeah. Are you, oh, are you ready? I am. You know what? It's a good movie, isn't it? It's it, it, I, I love this film. I know. It's a good one. Remember renting this from the library all the time? I, yes, I do. Absolutely, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I do remember that. <laughs> the Hancock County Public Library, along with our VeggieTales rentals and our- uh, Wishbone tapes. Yeah, wishbone. Wishbone! What's the story, Wishbone? <laughs> Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we're not sour. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 1993 film, The Secret Garden. Guys, I love this story. How can a movie be so scary and so beautiful at the same time? (laughs) I can't wait for you to say, I can't wait to hear from you why you think it's scary. How do you not think there are spooky bits in this? Of course there's spooky bits in it, but like scary? I don't know. Scary, spooky, whatever. Like, come on. Also, happy birthday month to me. Guys, happy birthday month. It's another birthday month. Can you believe? Oh, man. And guys, it's a very special birthday month indeed. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but Carrie Ann was born in 1992, the year of the woman. <laughs> and um, guys, I don't know if you know how basic math works, but in, it is the year of our Lord 2022. And if you can do the basic math, you know that means that our dear, lovely Carrie Ann, the star this show steers by, <laughs> is turning 30. Aww. 30, flirty, and thriving. I can only hope. <laughs> so guys, give her some shout-outs. Give our dearest Madam Editor some shout-outs. Guys, before we get started, if you really want to give Carrie Ann a great birthday present this birthday month, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. Can always use more followers for my birthday. Uh-huh. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Folks, we want everyone to come and watch our little birthday watch party. Don't forget to go check out our Patreon. We're just about done with our John Adams coverage. Guys, for $5 a month, you too can be a little onion contributor at the $5 level. Guys, you're getting all of our long-form content, all of our television coverage. You're getting bonus episodes, outtakes, maybe some stuff outside the timeline when we get some time, you know. And if you guys didn't glance at the feed last week, then you might have missed the fact that I included our first episode of John Adams. Guys, you're getting it for free. Yeah, get it for free. Get a little preview of what's going on on the Patreon right now. And guys, we cover all eight episodes. That's 500 minutes of content. Carrie Anna's sweating. It's been the longest eight weeks of my life. <laughs> and I love you so much. You've given me such a gift. You know what? Don't get me anything for my birthday. <laughs> okay. Are you honestly, Carrie? Do not have to get me anything for my birthday. You made John Adams for me. Aww. That's enough of a birthday present to me in and of itself. And also, guys, if you want access to our full catalog of episodes, everything since July 2019 when we started this little podcast, you need to go over to our Podbean page. All of our episodes are posted and listed for you there. Unfortunately, Apple Podcasts, since we're not big enough, only allows us to do an 100-episode backlog. (laughs) So go check that out. All right, you ready to grow? Oh my god, I hate you, you're fired! Uh, Oh no, you know the plant puns are going to be rife throughout this, right? Mary Lennox was an orphan sent from a far-off distant land. 
who live in a lonely and mysterious mansion. You are not to touch anything, and you're not to go wandering and poking about. <gasps> I heard someone crying. You heard nothing of the sort. Somewhere in the forbidden rooms. Who are you? She discovered a bedridden cousin. Don't you ever go outside? Never. Who'd never seen the light of day. And met an enchanted boy who spoke with the animals. Animals don't speak to people. Sure they do. They tell me secrets. He wouldn't tell you my secret, would he? Together. Maybe we could find the door to my mother's garden. I've been in the secret garden. I found the key. They discovered the mystery. And the magic. Yes. Imagine this. That lies just beyond the garden wall. It is the one special place where miracles grow. You did it, Mary! And a family comes to life. You brought us back to life, Mary. Something I thought no one could do. It is the one special story of friendship that has captivated generation after generation. Are you making this magic? You are. From the pages of the time-honored classic, from the executive producer of The Black Stallion, The Secret Garden, a place where miracles grow. Okay, The Secret Garden. This is the third incarnation of this story. Yes, it is. Well, fourth, technically, if you're counting everything. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what our theme is this birthday month. <laughs> I'm doing coming-of-age stories, uh, specifically ones dealing with girlhood. Exactly. And this brings us to our lovely source material, The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Frances Hodgson Burnett was an author from the late 19th century. Her two most notable works are The Secret Garden and A Little Princess, which have both been adapted for film multiple times. I love those stories. They are very well-cherished stories, usually centering around a little girl who has everything but then quickly has nothing. Yeah. (laughs) And she she has to grow a little bit as a person in order to survive the rest of her life. Yeah, The Secret Garden specifically was published in 1911. Yeah, it was first published as a serial in the American magazine. Like, so many great novels got their start as serials. Frances Hogson Burnett, she lived in America for most of her life, but she originates from the United Kingdom. She She's very interested in India. The, the nation of India plays a major role as a backdrop in all of her stories. None of them are actually set there for the majority of the narrative, but... Usually the girl has some tie to India because the British Empire has a tie to India. Yeah, it's unfortunately used kind of as an ornament for the rest of the girl's backstory. Exactly. Like, you know, there's uh, there's obviously, like because it was published so long ago, there's a lot of reduction and racism associated with some of these stories. Because, like I said, it's an ornament. It's not about those people or, yeah. you know, their lives. It's about what they meant to these white people. Mm -hmm. The Secret Garden follows the story of a little girl named Mary Lennox. She's what? 10? Yeah, she's 10. 10, 11, 12, something in there. Her story about how she becomes becomes orphaned living in 
Imperial India and how she has to go to England to live with her uncle. She has to go live with her very mysterious and reclusive uncle in the Yorkshire Moors in England. Big spooky house. Big spooky house. (laughs) Misselthwaite Manor. Yeah. And she discovers a hidden garden that used to belong to her aunt there. And she, it is, the story is about how she brings new life to the souls at Misselthwaite Manor. Yeah, lots of themes of grief, rebirth, independence, a lot of ambivalent gender roles. Exactly. Like, all good things. And, like, this is just one of those staple stories for girlhood. To see how influential this little girl is on this entire plot of land is nothing short of empowering. It's wild to think that a mere eight years after this book came out, it got its first film adaptation in 1919. Yeah. The silent version of The Secret Garden, which is actually lost now. Really? Yeah, it's completely lost. We don't have it. It doesn't exist anymore. That's sad. But then it was adapted again, starring Margaret O'Brien in 1949 for MGM. We are talking, of course, today about Agnieszka Holland's 1993 adaptation. So it's a remake of a remake. <laughs> I mean, you guys live in 2022. You know how this goes. You know about the metaverse. Um, (laughs) Agnieszka Holland, our director here today, I only know her really for doing one other thing. Which is? She directed about three or four episodes of House of Cards. You're kidding. No, I'm not. And you know how I love me some House of Cards. She's also notable for projects like In Darkness, uh, which which was nominated for Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. She's Polish. Yeah. And... uh, She's known for things like Olivier Olivier, Europa Europa. <laughs> Lots of repeating titles. <laughs> Lots of repeating titles. The Wire, Dream. What is Dream? I have no idea. Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. She directed Rosemary's Baby. So appropriate. And folks, you might have guessed it, but we have names. Playing our heroine today, Mary Lennox, we have Kate Maberly. She only auditioned for this role because a ball game she was going to got rained out that day. That's amazing. She didn't have any experience. And can you imagine any other little girl playing this role? Oh, no, I can't. She is Mary, right? She's perfect. They loved her, like, really naturally shy kind of energy. Mm -hmm. It it made her look like, you know, not like she was trying too hard or anything. She is in another film that we both love very much, Finding Neverland. Yeah, she plays Wendy in the play they put on of Peter Pan. Well, the actress who plays Wendy. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> she played Wendy. <laughs> Folks, please welcome to Kicking and Streaming Mr. Hayden Prowse. He is playing Colin Craven today. Listen, Hayden Prowse is not much of an actor. He was a school kid who auditioned for this role and got lucky. And actually... What he's most notable for is his journalism career. Yeah. Have you done Have you done the reading? I did a little bit of the reading. I didn't go too far too far down that rabbit hole, but he's a well-known um prankster in the UK. <laughs> like Ashton Kutcher? He registered himself to run for a UK parliament constituency under a phony identity and got like third in that election. He's a professional troll? Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I know. And I mean, given his performance today. <laughs> it's just two different beasts. I think he's really good yeah. in this movie, too. Yeah, I really believe that kid, too. Like, for real. Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming Mr. Andrew Knott. He is playing Dickon Sarby today. Yeah, some of you might recognize him from Black Beauty. He's Joe in Black Beauty. He was on Gwen and Stacy. And uh, he's in that episode of Black Mirror where the guy has to have sex with the pig the on The very first one. Yeah, the very first one. The national one. anthem. He's one of the orderlies standing in the hospital watching the news, ironically standing next to the guy who plays Tom Branson in Downton Abbey. Exactly. <laughs> They're in that scene together. 
he's a he's also a really good kid actor. Like absolutely, these these three as a trio. Oh, the the chemistry is on fire. Works so well together, honestly. Playing Dickens' sister Martha. Martha Sowerby is Laura Crossley. She's not hyperlinked, so I didn't do any <laughs> further research. Um, but she's also just perfect. Like, she, like these these Yorkshire people. You see, you know why I love Downton Abbey because of the way they talk. Yeah, and they're more or less in the same area. Um, oh my god! We have uh, playing Lord Archibald Craven, Mary's uncle and Colin's father, is John Lynch, who was an Irish actor. Yeah, in the name of the Father, Mal Flanders. Lassie. He, he's Balinor on Merlin. I know there's some Merlin stands out there. Uh, late 80s, early 90s, John Lynch, call me. <laughs> because you are a fine looking man. Oh my God. Is it the mustache for you? And the hair. Like, he's beautiful. You love you a nice head of hair. It makes me sad. He's so sad the whole time. <laughs> And folks, last but not fucking least. No, we saved her for last. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Dame Maggie Smith as Mrs. Medlock. Frances Hogson Burnett is famous for her abusive older lady characters. And you know they're going to be there. Like, Oh, boy. She was with us when we did Hook. Think about how she looks in this movie. This was only two years after Hook, and like all the makeup they put on her and Hook to make her look like 102. Yeah, I know. You guys obviously know her as Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter. Absolutely. She's also in Death on the Nile, First Wives Club. Jean Brody. Jean Brody. And she's in Sister Act, which I constantly forget about. Mother Superior. <laughs> oh my God. Just the fact that we have a movie that exists that involves Dame Maggie Smith trying to get Whoopi Goldberg to behave <laughs> is just perfect to me. It is perfect. So we begin in India. This is the British Raj, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, from like the mid-1700s until the mid-1800s, India was literally controlled by a trade company. Yeah. It's called the East India Company. Yeah. There was the West India Company and the East India Company. And I can't believe that a whole nation of peoples was controlled by a corporation for a hundred years. Really? You can't believe that? I just don't know how... I just don't know how you can allow a company to rule people like that Ross, we're without li- the veil of any kind of governance. We are living in end-stage capitalism I right now. I know this, but like... <laughs> And then, of course, in the 1850s, the crown actually takes over India. Oh, God. Leave those people alone! And so, obviously, the Lennox family, Mary, her father, Major Lennox, and her mother, are obviously colonial residents living in the British Raj at the end of the 19th century. Mary has spent her entire life in India. She was born in India. And she has, I I originally wrote, her parents have raised her exclusively in India. And I went, no. They are not raising her. That's the whole point, is that Mary is being raised by the Indian women in her life. Her Aya. Yeah, her Aya and her Aya's girls. or Like, an Aya's a nursemaid, mm-hmm. basically. Like, the, her Aya is in charge of every facet of her life. Her parents largely ignore her because they're busy yucking it up and partying with the military and the imperialist elite who are occupying this country. My name is Mary Lennox. I was born in India. It was hot and strange and lonely in India. I didn't like it. Nobody but my servant, my ayah, looked after me. My parents didn't want me. My mother cared only to go to parties. And my father was busy with his military duties. 
I don't know. You remember in West Wing when Lord John Marbury is talking about Maharajas? Oh, boy. The United States and Leo, the United States government's not empowered to create Maharajas. Yeah, like, <laughs> come on. And what it was was the British crown, in order to keep the Indian people loyal, would institute regional kings. And the area in which the Lennoxes live and are stationed, they're in deep with the Maharaja. Yeah. Like, literally, Mary wakes up every day, her eye addresses her, and she spends most of the day alone wandering around. Yeah, she, but, and, and it should be a shock to no one that she's an incredibly sad, spoiled, humorless child. Yeah, no, she's, yeah, she's very sour. She's very unpleasant. She believes that she has nothing else to compare her life too. Yeah. Her whole life is demanding people do things for her because she has no view of compassion. When we first see her and she's being dressed by these Indian women and she's like dead behind the eyes. She has no emotion. It's it's so sad. And whatever emotion she does have is locked deep down inside those staring eyes. Like it just is just such a very when that voiceover when she's like I was never allowed to go to the parties. I watched them from my mother's bedroom window. I was angry, but I never cried. I didn't know how to cry. Oh my God. Like, she is just a little clenched fist with hair. Yeah, that emotionally stunted little girl. Oh, I feel so horrible. And the movie really does fly through her childhood in India, whereas the entire first chapter of the book is devoted to it. Yeah. It cannot be understated how ignored she was by her parents. My parents always thought about themselves. They never thought about me. If only I could have known that in a few moments I would lose them forever. have in all capital letters, um, earthquake? Okay, how does it happen in the book? In the book, it's cholera. There's an outbreak of cholera yeah. and her parents succumb to it. Well, like, isn't the whole thing how, like, she doesn't know her parents are dead for a long-ass time? No, they put her in a back room because there are other sick people who need tending to, and gradually everybody forgets about her. Yeah, and she just stays there until everyone either leaves or dies. And then she's just wandering around that big, empty house. No parents, no Aya, no servants, because everyone's fled the area, and she's eventually found by British soldiers and declared an orphan. Like, they literally cannot believe it when they find her. They're like, this child should be dead. But, like, in the movie, we sk- we skip over all of that. We- there's just an outrageous earthquake that buries her whole house, and she somehow survives. So we cut to Liverpool six months later. Because Mary- that's how long it took to get to England by boat. Exactly. <laughs> Mary is getting off a ship in England, and the children are singing that irritating nursery rhyme. Listen, aren't they all orphans, too? Yes, they are. S- how awful of them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let's make fun of her because she's the pissiest. Like Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? There's this man at the port who is calling out a register of the names of the children yeah. for their relatives to come and claim them. And Mary is one of the... <laughs> She's number 43. Yeah. Mary Lennox. He calls out through that megaphone and no one is there to claim her. It's so sad. All these other parents who are like looking for their children and there's no one there for her. Yeah. She's literally the last kid sitting alone on the dock when a woman named Mrs. Medlock comes to collect her from the dock. Is that Mary Lennox? 
Number 43. Yes, Mary Lennox. I've come to claim her. I'm Mrs. Medlock, housekeeper at Misselthwaite Manor. And my word, a plain piece of goods. Her mother was a beauty. She certainly didn't have much of it down, did she? Mrs. Medlock is a severe sort of woman. Oh, she admires her station within the estate of Lord Archibald Craven. She's like, if this were Downton Abbey, she'd be the Mrs. Hughes. Yeah, she would be the Mrs. Hughes, Except yes. Mrs. Hughes is a very nice person. Exactly. And Mrs. Medlock is not. Well, if this was Downton Abbey, she'd be the Dowager Countess of Grantham. <laughs> You're right, but <laughs> just saying, for those of you Downton people. Do you remember that spoof of Downton Abbey, Upstairs, Downstairs Abbey? <laughs> yes. Where Joanna Lumley... Aunt Spiker yes. is like complaining. She's like, I'm not meant to be a downstairs person. I belong upstairs, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> anyway. On the way to Misselthwaite Manor, Medlock is telling her that her uncle is a recluse with a crooked back and he's a really sad uncle with a crooked back because his wife died in a tragic way. And like, her uncle is still in mourning even though it's been like 10 years. It's a pity for you that you haven't any other place to go. Your uncle isn't going to trouble himself about you. That's for sure and certain. He never troubles himself about anybody. As if having a crooked back weren't cross enough for Amanda Bear and then she had to up and die on him. Yeah, that's right. Your aunt is dead, didn't you know? Didn't your mother tell you? No. Strange. I love Maggie's Yorkshire accent. Yeah, I know. She does it very well. He never troubles himself about anybody. Like, I just, I love that. And I love also how Mary is just kind of nodding like she's already accustomed to that level of negligence. The way Medlock is stuffing her face and not giving her (laughs) anything to eat. She's like eating a chicken wing. Yeah. (laughs) Misselthwaite Manor is your typical British manor on the moors. It's foggy all the time. The house is grand and dark. Okay, so here's my thing. What? You see Misselthwaite I love that shot of Misselthwaite on the moor. And that music in the background. See, this is the beginning of the spooky for me. It's all vast and open and there's just this castle in the middle of nowhere. And you expect like a Dementor to creep out of the fog. Exactly. Like the ice. Everything's icing over. Like at the end. But here's the thing. You know how, you know that we're going to find a garden in this movie. Yeah. There's the grounds are so expansive. But at the same time, that shot of the castle in the middle of nowhere. Where's all the garden? Gardens and foliage supposed <laughs> it's, to be? It's behind it. Behind it. Behind it, yeah. <laughs> totally behind In it. In the backyard, as it were. Exteriors for this were shot at Allerton Castle in Yorkshire. Ooh. And and interiors were filmed in the Midland Grand Hotel. Should I know what that is? It is, it's in, it's actually in London. Oh. So they actually had a whole unit, I mean, a lot of films are like this. They had a whole unit of production just for exterior stuff where they'd have to go out and camp out, you know, on that estate for so many days to film all the exteriors. And they did the rest of the filming in London. Okay. So it was, it was relatively easy. When Mary wakes up the next morning, she's talking to Medlock, and she's asking Medlock who's going to be taking care of her, basically. Who's going to dress me? You can't dress yourself. Of course not. My ayah dressed me. Nonsense. As old as you are, what do they do with children in India? Carry you around in a basket. How dare you talk to me with such disrespect? Oh! Okay, we think we're queen! Yeah, she really does. This is gonna be such a different world for her. I have to remind myself that she is a child and she has no way of knowing what life is gonna be like for her here. She doesn't know how to dress herself. She doesn't know how to put on clothes! 
news. And I just, ah. Medlock lays it out for Nobody's going to carry you around, Misselthwaite Manor, my girl. We've far too much work already. So you'll just have to look after yourself. There are near a hundred rooms yet. This one and no other is yours. You are not to touch anything. And you're not to go wandering and poking about. Okay. Okay, Mrs. Medlock. Fine. Yeah, no. She wants to let this little girl know. No one here gives a shit about you. Stay in this room and be quiet. Again, Mary's just kind of comfortable with that level of negligence. Yeah. She's used to it. She's used to it. She's like, oh, I'm not here? That's par for the course. I'll be in my bedroom. Making no noise and pretending I don't exist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She's just been left to wander this big house on her own. And she's giving us this really creepy narration about it. The house seemed dead. Like a spell had been cast upon it. That's kind of how she describes everything at first. Yeah. Because, like, like, we're not in spring yet. We're in, like, very late winter. Yeah, it's probably, like, what, late February, early March? Yeah, we're at the beginning of the year. And so, like, everything's dead. Everything's gray. There's no And we're on a moor. Yeah, we're on a foggy moor. (laughs) She's just wandering the manor by herself. Like she's not supposed to be doing. Like she's not supposed to be doing. And she's finding all the secret passages. She finds this hallway where all the rooms off of it have been completely closed and not maintained for like years yeah and one of them is her aunt's room her Her, old bedroom yeah her old bedroom it's like ross it like dilapidated doesn't describe the condition of this room it's a part of the house this house is so big it's part of the of the castle that's just been abandoned and like guys green like trees tree vines and roots have started to grow into the room through the windows into the room and there's white and there's leaves everywhere and white sheets thrown over all the belongings i do kind of like this establishing the aesthetic of not only the whole house and its neglected state but also the memory of her aunt yeah, it's, and her mother. It's like a tomb. Yeah, with no body. Because here's what we didn't mention is that obviously Mary is related to this uncle by virtue of marriage. Her mother and his late wife were twin sisters. Yep. And she sees a picture of them on the swing in the garden together. Yeah. And they're right next to each other. And it's like, wow, that's creepy. One of the only things that Mary brought with her from India of her parents was her mother's little ivory elephant. Yeah. And she finds a twin ivory elephant on her aunt's vanity. Yeah. Next to the little music box. That makes me so sad. I know. Because, like, they hadn't spoken to each other for years. Yep. The sisters. And it's. I mean, when you live 10,000 miles away. I know. It's just so sad. I know we're not twins, but let's never live 10,000 miles away from each other. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Another creepy thing about this house is that in the night when she's trying to sleep, Mary's hearing all of these wailing noises through the walls. (laughs) Nope. Nope. (laughs) Big ol' nope on that. No, it's 1901 and I can hear people crying at night. Absolutely not. So one night she follows the sound of this crying. And she's almost there. She's almost to the source of the crying sound. And she pulls back this tapestry, and Miss Medlock is just there. What are you doing? What did I tell you? I heard someone crying. Dogs. No, someone. A person crying. You heard nothing of the sort. 
locks her in her bedroom, like, and that's it. That's the game. Like, she really spooked her. Like, did not expect her to be standing there. Mary has taken that little ivory elephant that she found in her aunt's old bedchamber, and she hides it under her bed with the other one. Yeah, so they can be together. And who comes waltzing in? Oh, Martha. Dearest Martha. We do love Martha. She's just a little irritating. Yeah. She's one of Medlock's girls who's going to be servicing Mary, doing the the maid's work. She's very sweet, very Yorkshire. She's like 16, 17 in that area. You know who she reminds me of? Who? Anna. Really? From Downton Abbey. There's going to be a lot of Downton Abbey comparisons today. It's just today. because it's a it's a big house in Yorkshire, that's why. <laughs> Mary is so offended by the fact that Martha thought she was going to be a, quote, native. Yeah. Know, an Indian person. You thought I was a what? You. You. You daughter of a pig! You need to be like that. <laughs> I've missing against natives. As Mother says, for all of us a family. I've never seen a native. I was pleased to think I was. You don't know anything about anything! None of you nothing! I understand that's a product of her upbringing, but she she gets so mad about it. So, like, it's because she thinks all of these people are common. Yeah. And not on her level and she thinks that she the fact that she has to deal with all of them is just abhorrent she, she calls her a daughter of a pig yeah she's cruel to Martha yeah please don't be vexed I don't know anything about anything like you said I'm sorry miss I'm too common and I talk too much I beg your pardon, miss. And Mary just kind of drops it. Yeah, like that's the thing. We uh, the longer Mary is here, we see her adjust more to a different level of servitude. Mm-hmm. Like it, maybe it's not the life she was used to, but like she's done kind of making everybody's day hard about it. Yeah. And so Mary is suddenly being given an audience with her uncle, right? But at the last second. He decides he's not going to see her. (laughs) The way she's waiting for him, like, outside a principal's office or something. Yeah. And, like, Mrs. Medlock comes out and is, like, just silently, like, lighting a lamp. And she turns to leave. And as though it's an afterthought, (laughs) turns around and goes, Oh, your uncle's decided not to see you today. When will I see him? Tomorrow. Oh, no. He'll be gone tomorrow. She's like, honey, he is going on vacation for, like, the seventh time this year. Like, hashtag waste your time 1901. <laughs> God. Sorry. I'm sure the reason he doesn't want to see her is because he's terrified that she's going to look exactly like his late wife. And his late wife is already haunting him. Yeah. And, like, this is already a man who has completely detached from life as we know it. Yeah, and in 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 such big ways will get to it. Oh, yeah. Mary is going out to explore the grounds of Mistlethwaite, and like we said, it's still winterish, probably March, and she comes to this overgrown wall. And it's it's funny because like it's like the wall separates from the outer wall of this garden, mm-hmm. and like there's a pathway in there, and there's all of these leaves that are blowing out of the archway at mm. her. serenity yeah it's, <laughs> it's like the garden is calling to her ross yeah it's like hey hey over there over here i could use a trim 
<laughs> oh my gosh. And like that's where she runs into the groundskeeper, Ben Weatherstaff. It's just a great character name. It is. Like she had good Francis had great character names. Well, his name is actually Hay. You there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's the help. And that's how she's gonna treat him. Where's the door to that other garden? What? The one with all the ivy. I didn't see a door. There isn't one. There has to be a door somewhere. No one's been inside that place for ten years. Why? Why? Why, because when she died, Master gave orders to shut it up forever. He insists there is no door to the garden. And no one goes in there anymore. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever comes in, nobody, nobody ever, ever goes out. out. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of shit. Yeah. And he's like, it's because the master says, shut it up tight, because Mary's aunt died in that garden. He doesn't tell her that, but that's why. Mm-hmm. The only living things that go in and out of there are the birds. Exactly. The robin. The red-breasted robins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love how the robin is a character unto itself. I know. It's like a magical little robin. It's like, it's it's not like they can, it's not like the robin can communicate with her, mm-hmm. but it's like when Mary speaks and asks the robin questions, it understands. Yeah. It's, it's the magic of the garden. The way she literally walks up to this bird and goes if you know the way show me and the bird takes off (laughs) oh my god she follows it and notices that it buries itself in the ivy yeah and she pulls it back enough to find the actual door to this garden and she pushes on it but it's blocked but she does see there's a big old keyhole in it one of the things that mary found in her aunt's room when she was exploring it was this big jewelry box. Mm -hmm. And she opened one of the drawers on the jewelry box, and there was a big ornate key in the jewelry box. And when she was looking at that garden door, she was probably thinking to herself, this looks like what that key goes to. Also, I'm sorry, this is a continuity error in the filming, but I just can't not point it out. Oh, okay. The first time when she puts that key back, she puts it with the teeth facing in. Oh, okay. When she opens it back up after finding the door to get the key, it's the other direction. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. I'm just saying, Agnieszka, you got to pay attention. Okay? So she gets the key, goes back out, and cracks open the gate on this secret garden. It takes a bit of pushing. Oh, yeah. It's big and heavy. There's vines overgrown over it. A lot of dead things in the way of this door. And she steps into this overgrown garden. The opening is like an archway of dead brown twigs and trees. And there are these stone steps that go all the way down. Carrie. I, I know. Carrie. Yeah? You know I love a film soundtrack. Oh, God. This lovely little tune that is written for the film. It's like this haunting yet enchanting choir tune. And it looks like as though this garden is has been laid out in the ruins of, like, some old cathedral or something. Yeah, like, there's stone busts and statues everywhere. Like, there used to be an abbey here or something, and it's been since destroyed or half torn down, and that Lady Craven just planted this whole gigantic garden within it. And this is probably as good a time as any to bring up the fact that they planted this garden from scratch. 
Yes, they did. They didn't want to handle crowd control trying to film in a place that already existed. Yeah. So they grew this garden up from nothing. God damn. I know. Agnieszka. That is some major production value right there. It certainly is. And Mary is just tooting around in the garden. She can see that everything's brown and kind of dead. Yeah. And she just instinctually gets down on her hands and knees and starts pulling up this clutch of brown weeds. And it reveals this little green sprig in the dirt. Something's growing. Yeah. And she, like, pushes all the weeds out of the way and gives it room to grow and get sunlight. The way the robin comes and lands down next to her, like, hey, can I have some of that shit? (laughs) I got babies to make in the spring. (laughs) I need to be building myself a nest. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I just love the line. Did you see what I found, pretty robin? so sweet. I just love those little lines that are taken directly from the book. Yeah. We get this scene where Mary is eating breakfast with Martha and we're hearing the sounds of children crying again. Not again. And what I love about this is that Martha has obviously been instructed to lie about it, (laughs) but cannot decide on which lie she's going with. Medlock has definitely at night been like, listen, that child's going to ask about the moaning. (laughs) And you're not going to tell her what it is, okay? Because she says it's just the wind but then she says it's a scullery maid with a toothache poor betty butterworth yeah and i'm like martha lie better yeah (laughs) and you know something is going down because medlock comes into the room is like get this child outside Uh, yeah and you even as mary's running back off to the gardens you hear somebody screaming from inside it's like are we gonna get to that or am I just going to see that in my nightmares? Yeah. So they throw Mary outside, and she's going back to the garden. And this is where we formally meet Dickon, Martha's little brother. Yeah. Because Martha's family lives on this land, mm-hmm. and Dickon has no other responsibilities. So he just rides around the moor on a horse. A, a white horse. beautiful white horse. And he's got, like, some pseudo Eliza Thornberry powers. Oh, yeah, right? Like, he's, he has got away with animals. He is very in tune with the animals. He raises them from babies. He's got, like, a pet crow. Like a big black crow. That- Soot. That's his name, Soot. Soot. He doesn't know thee. You frightened him. I frightened him. Come. He won't hurt you. You frightened him? Yeah, I frightened him? Yeah, the bird scared me. <laughs> and he's like, dude, calm down. It's just the bird. And he shows her how to feed the bird and pet him. He's just adorable. He is. He's an adorable kid. He can make animal calls, like realistic ones with his hands. He's actually talking to birds. <laughs> he's talking to that robin who showed Mary where the garden was. That part in Into the Woods. You can talk to birds? <laughs> what? <laughs> And this is where Mary decides, because I think she's kind of taken with Dickon, that she's going to let him in on her little secret. When she's like, I've stolen a garden. I'm like, Mary, it's not that dramatic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she wants to show him the garden, but he has to promise that he'll never tell anyone where it is. The robin says he's been waiting for you. The animals tell me all their secrets. He wouldn't tell you my secret, would he? About what, Miss Mary? A garden. I've stolen a garden. Maybe it's dead anyhow. I don't know. I know. Because she wants to know if it's actually dead or if it's all alive. Yeah, and Dickon seems like he's one with the earth. She's like, Dickon, 
you seem you seem chill. You seem <laughs> like you're at one with nature. I need you to tell me if any of this is worth my time. All secrets are safe with Dickon. That's a very important bond that children have. Yeah, the ability to keep secrets. Mm -hmm. Remember that first special friend you have in your life? Absolutely. Where you believe you can tell them anything and it'll be a secret forever? That's just so special when you're a young person. And Mary, remember, has never had a friend. No, this is literally her first friend friend like save martha maybe you know <laughs> yeah martha's nice to her but mm -hmm. i think she feels a lot closer to dickon because he's a lot closer to her age and he doesn't work in the house yeah <laughs> she's showing him around the garden and pointing out all the dead plants takes his little pocket knife and cuts on one of the branches and reveals underneath all the dead bark the green that's underneath of it yeah this garden's not dead it's as live as you are me See, this part's wick. See the green? Wick? What's wick? Alive. Full of life. There'll be so many roses in here this summer. You'll be sick of him. Aww. He's so cute! I, I can't! Adorable. <laughs> and then Mary. This is where things get a little dark. Ah. Because Mary takes him to the tree. Like one of the biggest trees in the garden where that one solitary swing is hanging from the tree. And you can see Dickon kind of stiffen. Yeah, he's tensed up a little bit. He knows what this garden is. They just haven't talked about it yet. There's a picture of my mother and my aunt sitting here. They say that's how she died. How? From falling off it. Oh. And the way she just goes... Oh, okay, and gets right up off that swing. Like. Oh, oh, no. Yeah, guys. Uh, uh, that is obviously not how Lady Craven died. You but... don't think so? No. You no. don't think Lady Craven died in the garden? No, I believe she went into labor in the garden and then died in childbirth. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, all right. I get you. I yeah. get you. Mm -hmm. So that night, Mary has a dream about her own mother searching for her in the garden. Ross? Yeah? If you need to go first, go first. I, I'm about to cry. I'm gonna cry. Like, in this version of her garden, like, in the dream, mm, it's... It's, a, it's it, a jungle, like an Indian jungle. Yeah, and, like, her mother is just, you know, out in the middle of the jungle... And little baby Mary <sighs> is, like, under a bush. She's only, like, two years old. And she's calling out for her mother, but her mother just turns around and goes back into the jungle and leaves her there. Carrie. Yeah? I saw this movie for the first time at a very young age. I was probably four or five. Yeah. The first time I saw this movie. Uh-huh. And I don't know why. But this part where she's having this little dream sequence fucked me up royally. Oh, the God. Because it's the little girl, that little girl that's playing Tiny Mary mm -hmm. is so incredibly cute. And when her mother, it looks like she's reaching out for her, but like something's pulling her away and makes her run in the other direction. Yeah. It's that, it's this symbolism of, her being initially wanted by her mother, but then not being wanted at all. Yeah. Because her mother truly didn't want her around and left her to her own devices. And the way that little girl gets so upset when her mommy runs away.
it just fucking killed me inside at the tender age of five because you think because when you watch it that young you put you think about your own mom like where's running she going? away yeah running away from you where's she going you're actually crying i'm I sorry am. no yeah this one part of the movie always screwed me up i would skip it yeah when fast i forward when i would rewatch it because it was so traumatizing to me i was like that was effective Adnishka. good for you that was her whole life Wanting her mother and, and her mother running away from yeah, her. Yeah, her mother just being in reach but could never quite get to her. And she wakes up and she hears the crying again. So she takes a lamp. She's like, fuck it. I'm going to Nancy Drew this. I'm sick of listening to <laughs> We're it. We're not letting any kids cry alone in this bitch, okay? She goes right to that tapestry where Medlock interrupted her before. And you know what's interesting? The person on that tapestry is Edward the Sixth. Who died at 16 years old. Queen Elizabeth I's little brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yep. The boy king. The boy king, yeah. Oh, it's about to all make sense. It's funny how similar their likenesses are. Yeah? Edward VI and Colin. Oh, yeah, because now it's time to talk about Colin. Mary finds behind that tapestry, like, a whole other room. It's a huge, huge room, big grand room with a huge poster bed. It looks like it's the library and that he's just been set up in there. Yeah. And there is a child in the bed about her age, some boy crying in the middle of the night. This is Colin. You a ghost? No. Are you? Who are you? What are you doing here? I live here. Who are you? My master of this house. While my father's away. Your father? He's my uncle. Nobody told me he had a son. She had no idea that he existed at all. She had no idea she had a cousin. He had no idea he had a cousin. He's not sure she's real at first. Yeah. Like, he he literally cannot believe it. He was never told that his mother even had a twin. And Colin is in this bed being confined to this room because it is believed that he is deathly ill. They think he's going to get a crooked back like his dad and that his whole being is going to be compromised because of it. Literally, Lord Craven never got over his wife's death and he sees Colin as the cause of it, probably. Yeah, and like he's so deep in that grief still that he doesn't want to have any emotional attachment to his own son. Yeah. Like Colin doesn't it's know. It's been 10 years. I know. Colin doesn't know how to walk. They don't think he's going to live very long. He can't even go outside because they think that the spores in the air are going to infect his lungs. And even though their situations are wildly different, Mary and Colin are not so dissimilar. Oh, no. In their attitude towards people. Because they have both been raised with their every need catered to and obeyed. Well, material need. Yeah, no, I I understand, yes. They were both neglected and highly served at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. The way there is a portrait of his mother in the room with him that he keeps a curtain over. Oh. Why do you keep a curtain over her? She smiles too much. Smiles too much? How can anybody smile too much? Sometimes I hate her. She died when I was born. But I thought she died in her garden. Garden? What garden? Oh, just a garden. There are so many of them here. 
I mean, I get it. Uh-huh. I get it. She gave birth to you, died, and left you. And if he, if she were still here, this would not be his quality of life. No, yeah. No, I mean, he may, he may believe that he would still be sick, but at least he'd have his mom. He probably believes he killed his mother and that his ailments are punishment for it, and then his father doesn't love him because of it. Yeah. Colin is just... Uh, he has medlock, and that's it. Yeah, and and the, like his doctor and servants, but no friends, just like Mary. We see more scenes of Mary in the garden with Dickon, digging up bulbs, bonding together, singing that nursery rhyme that the kids would tease her with on the boat. And, like, she asks Dickon if he knows about Colin. And, of course, Dickon knows. Everybody knew. Yeah, yeah. But Mary was the only one who didn't know. And she, she's just like, I can't believe that this is actually a thing. Yeah. That everybody is pretending that this little boy is sick when he is really just shallow and selfish Mm -hmm. and spoiled. And Colin believes every bit of it, too. Yeah, he really does. We see another secret visit of Mary's to Colin's room because Medlock can't know that she's going in there. Oh, no, yeah, or hell will break loose. (laughs) And, like, you know, Mary is sitting and visiting with him, and she's like, you know what? It's a little stuffy in here. Why don't we open a window? And this is where he freaks out about the spores. Yeah. At least we can open the windows. (laughs) No. Get away from there. Don't touch them. They're nailed shut. In my lungs, they can't take the spores. Spores? They're carried in on the wind. And when you breathe the air, you swallow them. They get stuck in your lungs. Like, the way he is always so melodramatic about his own impending death, <laughs> which I get it, he's a fucking kid. Mary's Mary's literally like, if everyone said this shit about me, I'd do everything in my power to prove them wrong. Yeah, like, her, his whole attitude just makes her eyes roll. Yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting because I, I I don't know what makes her turn around on that so fast. It's like she's self-parenting both him and herself. It's almost like she sees in him all of her worst qualities. Mm. And she's like, I need to put a stop to that. Yeah, she's like, am I like that? Yeah. Oh, gross, you know? He literally wants her to put on this mask so that she won't breathe on him too much. And she's had it with him. She tries to leave to, to, to go be with Dickon in the garden, and Colin is so prickly about it because she's going to go spend time with someone else. Yeah. And before they can fight about it, Medlock comes in the room to give him treatment for his legs, and Mary dives under the bed. Mm-hmm. She's got nowhere else to go. And I don't know what is going on. Mar- with- Martha is operating this machine that Medlock is using on his legs. It's giving his legs electric shocks to to see if they'll move, you know? Like if he's got a reaction? Yeah, it's to make his legs and the nerves in his legs react. So they won't atrophy. Yes. Okay, that yes. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And like Martha's just cranking a little wheel on that machine. She's looking at the floor and she sees the toe of Mary's boot sticking out from under the bed. Martha? <laughs> Martha, the machine, the machine, wake up, girl. <laughs> And like, like as soon as Medlock, like Medlock realizes she's forgotten something. She forgot her herbs. Oh, don't even get me started on how the British pronounce that word. Yeah, I know. And so as soon as she leaves, like literally Martha yanks her out from under the bed. What is wrong with you? If Mrs. Medlock finds out, all the world's coming to an end. She'll never let you come back here. But you're master until your father gets home, aren't you? You can make her go. 
just go. She'll think I disobeyed her. She'll fire me for sure. Please, go. So, um, that's a pause on the column visits for the time being. But in the meantime, Mary has finally been granted a real audience with her uncle. Yeah. He's just back from wherever he's been, somewhere far away, I'm sure. It's usually France. It's, it is usually France. Yeah. And he's agreed to see her, and Mary is in her morning best, morning with a U, and she goes to his study, and this... I see what you mean about the spookiness. There are not enough lights on in this room. No. It's just the fire and, like, Uncle Craven being very withdrawn by the fire. She's literally standing there waiting for him to acknowledge her. That's the thing. But, like, that's the thing about Lord Craven, right? He's this allegedly... Not a lot of people see him. Yeah. And he's kind of like this mysterious figure, this alleged old hunchback that is mean and nasty. Guys... He's not an old hunchback. <laughs> he, and he's not really that mean and nasty. He's got some mean, nasty dogs that he has around him to keep people at bay. Okay, I'm sorry. When she, when Medlock is first leading her into his room, uh-huh. the way she's kind of like treating Mary a little differently. In front of Craven. No, it, it's like it's like now that Craven has acknowledged her, Medlock thinks a little bit more highly of her. Oh, Lord. I hate it. I know. I hate it. Her entire worldview spins on the axis of Lord Archibald Craven. It's mm. where she gets all her validation from. It's very Mr. Carson. Very Mr. Carson. You know, yeah. And, like, Mary is standing there. He's barely paying any attention to her. But then when he finally turns to look at her... The wit, the look in his eyes, as though he's seen a ghost. That's literally what I wrote. I was like, he's seen a ghost. She looks just like his wife because she looks just like her mother. And I cannot understate how spooked he looks. He rises from that chair. And he's like, wait a minute. Goes over to his desk, is rifling through things. He's like... My mother didn't have the time to get my picture taken. It's so sad. Like, I just... Uh, and you can tell, like, being in her presence is physically hurting him. Craven says that Medlock has asked that she be sent away to a boarding school. Oh, here we go. And Mary's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Please don't fucking do that. Yeah. Um, I just want to vibe here, if that's okay. She asks him if she can have a, quote, bit of earth. That's what the chapter's called yeah, in a, the book. Yeah, a bit of earth. Uh-huh. And, like, she wants a little bit of earth that she can plant on without being specific. She doesn't tell him she knows about the garden. Can I go in your dead wife's garden and play? Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't think that would have been met with much enthusiasm. But no. she's like, can I have a bit of earth as long as it's not wanted? Could I have a bit of earth? A bit of earth? To plant seeds in. To make things grow. Take your bit of earth. But don't be foolish enough to expect anything to come of it. May I take it from anywhere? So long as it's not wanted. Anywhere. And he's like, yes, whatever, go on, get out of my sight. The grief is too much. And literally Medlock comes back and he's like, hey, I'm going back to France. I'm in my feelings. Like, <laughs> Oh, no. So now that Uncle Craven has given her the green light, Mary goes hog wild in the secret garden. 
planting seeds everywhere, getting Dickens' help to clear all the weeds mm-hmm. away. She's so giddy. They really spruce up the place. Yeah. Planting her Empress of India lily. Yeah. And all the smaller lilies around her, you know. This is the happiest she's been since she got here. Probably ever. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. Dickon, it's said I can. I can have my bit of earth. Who said? My uncle. I asked him he said yes. I can plant seeds anywhere I like. Blue flowers, pink flowers, purple flowers, yellow flowers, corn flowers, foxgloves, any kind you want. Now Mary and Colin are in their first fight of their little relationship, right? First. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Yeah. But like this, this is where things are really about to come to blows because Colin is smarting that his father came home and chose to see Mary, not him. I mean, it's kind of fucked up. It is fucked up. His father never comes to see him. And he picks a fight with Mary over some existential conversation they're having. I think they're talking about an old Indian tale about a god that like had the whole universe in his throat. Yeah, he opened his mouth and you could see the whole universe. Yeah, yeah. and he's picking a fight with her over that. And Mary's not having it. She goes and sits in a chair in the corner. Fuck you, I'm not paying any attention to you. You can't leave. You wouldn't dare. Oh, wouldn't I? I'll have them drag you back in. Will you, Mr. Raja? Fine. That's just fine. Then I won't even look at you. I'll stare at the floor. I'll clench my teeth together and never tell you one thing. Not even about seeing your father. Yes, you will. And I just love the way she tells him like it is. She refuses to bow to him like everybody else in his life. She compares him to the Rajas in India. Stop talking to me as though you were Raja with emeralds and diamonds. Like, you know. Maybe if you weren't always so rude. I'm not rude. Yes, you are. You're so sour. You won't even open your windows and let the sun shine into your room. How can I? It's raining out. Even if it weren't raining. Well, if it weren't raining, maybe I would. You never have. Why does that mean I never would? I'm not sour. (laughs) And I'm not sour while having... He says that while having the sourest puss on the planet. The face he makes, I swear. (laughs) We learn through Martha that Craven won't bond with his son because he's afraid to lose him the same way he lost his wife, right? He's afraid to fall in love with him. He's afraid to love his... (laughs) I love the way Kate Maberly delivers that line. Will he ever see Colin? He's afraid to fall in love with him. He's afraid to love his son. Sometimes when he's here, he stays alone for a week. But Colin wants to see him. Sometimes he stays longer. I'm like, oof, that's rough. Yeah. Colin is awful, but it's literally not his fault. Yeah, I know. He's been kept in the same room his whole life. (laughs) Yeah. If he loves his own son, he could lose him. And that's why, what do you expect? That scene where Archie goes to see Colin in the middle of the night while he's sleeping. Yeah. he's just, He won't see him while he's awake, but he'll watch him sleep. Because I guess he's still an object then. And then takes off in his carriage into the night immediately after that. Oh, I also love that his name is Craven. You know, meaning cowardly. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Francis. Spring comes to the moor and Mistlethwaite Manor. Does it. Ever! Oh, Ma- oh, I love the garden montage of everything growing. Mary's hard work has come to fruition. Flowers blooming, butterflies hatching from cocoons. Mary, 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 Mary
is so healing to me. I know. All this life anew. Why do you think spring's my favorite? I know. Mm, the world becomes alive again. That point in time in the season when you can finally smell the earth again? I, uh, yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Carrie, this is, this is very near and dear to my spirit. It <laughs> truly is. Like, this is why I cannot stand winter. Everything is dead. Yeah. There is, we are in the void <laughs> of our planet's revolution around the sun. Yeah. And when finally you get to spring and everything just wakes back up again, it's like those last few weeks of winter where I never where I actually can't believe that I'll ever be happy again. Yeah. And then spring comes and I remember that life isn't over. Yeah. It's just getting started. Oh, right. Yeah. No, that I go through that process every single year. Now that spring has sprung, Mary wants to um <laughs> I <laughs> let in the fresh air. Yeah, I don't know what she was thinking, honestly. The- she wants to open Colin's windows on his bedroom, the ones that are nailed shut. The way they wait for Medlock to leave. <laughs> yeah. Like, leave, leave. And then Dickon, using his white horse, and some ropes? I don't know. Yeah. They pull the shutters that are nailed onto the outside of the castle off of Colin's uh, windows. It's working any minute now. Colin, do you feel it? Do you? Yeah, and then Mary climbs out through the window and joins Dickon on his horse. And Colin, I don't know if it's because this is literally the first breath of fresh air he's ever taken and is overwhelmed or if he's upset because she's leaving on the horse with Dickon. He just throws himself into a full tantrum. A fucking tantrum. Like he's he was The way the, the way the way this kid can scream. I know. I I actually hate it. Like he, he throws himself out of his wheelchair and is on the ground screaming his lungs out. <laughs> the way Mary just is like <sighs> and, like, gets off the back of the horse and runs back inside. Oh, she's sick of it. Martha and... What's that other guy's name? That big guy's name? John? Yeah, yeah. The way they are, like, wrestling him into bed. And Colin is literally kicking them in the body. And... <laughs> and... Mary comes walking in and Martha's like, hey, get the fuck out of here. Don't be here right now. Medlock's going to be back anytime now. And Mar- the way Mary is like, I'm literally so done. He's fine. <laughs> Give me a second with him. I hate you. Everybody hates you. You're so selfish. You're the most selfish boy there ever was. I'm not as selfish as you are. Just because I'm always ill. Nobody ill can scream like that. I'm going to die. What do you know about dying? My mother died! Both my parents died! Colin is screaming about how he's going to get a lump on his back like his father and die. And of course, Mary doesn't care. I love Mary. I hate you! Everybody hates you! Like, to get him to shut up. Of course, because he's screaming his head off. 
this attracts the attention of everyone in the house. And Medlock is just rolling up. She comes back in and sees Mary on top of Colin. She's like literally lifted up his shirt and is feeling his backbone to see if it's crooked. And she's like, it's just your bone sticking out. It's because you're so fucking skinny. And then I love Medlock. What in God's name? Get away from him, you beastly girl. You'll kill him. I won't tell him. my cousin. Don't give me a hand. Will, give me a hand. Hold his arm, though. <laughs> Martha, stop that girl. Martha, he doesn't have a lump, not one. You let that wretched girl in here. No, Mom. You disobeyed me. The way Colin gasps. Yeah, I don't have any reason to believe that Medlock has ever acted like that in front of him. You are done for. You can hide yourself home. No, but I, did, I didn't tell him. What is going on here? I'll send you away if you even dare think of making her go. Now get out of here, Medlock. I want to be alone with my cousin. I'm ordering you to leave this room. Ordering me? And the, the Medlock's so hurt. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Clutching of the pearls. And the breathy talking. I beg your pardon. <laughs> I'm ordering you to leave this room. Ordering me. Yes. Go. And this is where we decide to have a calm conversation between cousins. Maybe I'm not ill. Mary's like, you're not as ill as everyone thinks you are. You're literally just weak. Yeah, because everybody's been limiting you your whole when life. she's literally like, you are as alive as I am. Yeah. You're wick. Oh my god! Yeah. It's like Colin's the girl. Oh, it's like he's the dead weed. Yeah, everyone's writing you off as dead, but you're actually very alive. Oh, Ross, that's nice. Because that, I, I remember that from the book. Yeah. She, that, she actually says it to him in the book you're wick. Oh. And he's like, what does that mean? And she's like, never mind, forget it. <laughs> So now that he's actually survived the, quote, spores that are allegedly in the air, he thinks it's actually going to be possible to go outside and see his mother's garden. So the next day, we make a really big fuss (laughs) about going out into the garden. I'm going out in my chair. (laughs) No one is to be anywhere near. Not a single servant, not a single gardener. Is that understood? And if I like it well enough... I may go out every day, and Medlock's like, okay, all right, hold on. All right, certainly not every day. And Colin's like, shut the fuck up. I'm yeah. going to do what I want. I love his, like, it's like a car, the chair that he's in, the wheelchair he's in. Yeah, because it's got, like, a steering wheel. Yeah. It, it's not a wheel. It's like like a handle, but it's still neat. They're carrying his chair down the steps of the house, and Medlock is, like, creeping along behind him. You ought to stay here, Medlock. Oh, but Master (laughs) Colin, stay here! Oh my god. And they get so far away from the house and Dickens like, we should be good now. And the way Mary and Dickens start racing him. Yeah, across the garden. Yeah. And so they get to the garden wall and like Mary has him shut his eyes and like they get him all the way down the steps inside this garden with his eyes closed. And when he opens them, we're looking at that really little beautiful nook of the garden where the tree is with the swing and there's that little pond. Like Mary and Dickon have done wonders in here. There are different kind of flowers everywhere. What a great welcome to this is what life looks like. Yeah, Colin. Yeah. How are you enjoying the outdoors for the first time? Yeah. He's so unbelievably happy. I know. The Elysium on his face. Mm-hmm. That is the word, yes. Yes. I imagined this. 
Colin looks at Mary and says, are you making this magic? And she, the way she's like, no, you are. And then he immediately jumps to, I could marry you. Oh. And I'm like, Colin, first cousins, baby, first cousins. Again, hyper common back then. I know. Very hyper common. I fucking know. I have God with five Ds not being in love with our cousin. I mean, hell, I'd fall in love with her too, probably. I mean, especially if you were like kept in one room your whole life. Yeah. Guys, this next part is amazing because we're still in the garden mm-hmm. and <laughs> Dickon is showing Colin this lamb taking its first steps, yeah, right? Yeah, he just found out on the moor his mother, the lamb's mother had died. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> Colin is literally like, why is it making so much noise? <laughs> <laughs> and Dickon's like, He's lost his mom. He's hungry, you know? Like, kind of like Colin's lost his mom. I know. Francis, we get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, this is where Colin takes his first real stab at trying to walk. Oh, like a baby lamb. Yeah, like he stands up with Dickens' help, and it's just a few feet from one end of the blanket to the other. And it makes me want to cry, Ross. As he's taken those tiny steps because he's been shut up in that room his whole life, being told he was going to die, resigned to not enjoying life at all. And now he's doing what all the doctors said he would never do. Mm-hmm. He's, Thank God he has Dickon and Mary. I know. Like, he stumbles into Mary's arms, and she spins him around, mm-hmm. and he walks back to Dickon, and I'm going to try not to sob again. Oh, she's crying. I'm Stop! <laughs> Don't tell on me! It is over. It is overwhelming. <gasps> it's very powerful. doesn't want to tell anyone he can walk yet. He wants his father to be the first one of the adults who sees him walking, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. And so no one in the house is going to be told. But dad's away again. Yeah. And no one knows how to contact him. Exactly. And it's just, oh my the way grief. The way Colin is begging Medlock to give him the address of where his father's at, and she's like, mm, no, that, <laughs> that reduces my my power over you, so... A little bit, yeah. And there's one day where she decides, you're not going out into the gardens. Yeah, is this the scene where she's preparing the ice bath for him? Yeah, it's upsetting. I have no idea what's going on here. It's like they're reverse blanching him. Mm -hmm. They've got him under, like, a big hot rag... And then they transfer him immediately to this ice bath. I'm like, what fresh hell is this? They, she says that he has a fever. He probably doesn't. Yeah. And like, if he's got a fever, why do you have him under a hot towel? And he's like, please give me my father's address. And she's like, no, you're not going to the gardens tomorrow. I'm keeping you and Mary apart. And she literally locks Mary in her room. Oh, yeah. Like, Mary's on her way to go see Colin, right? Yeah. And Medlock snatches her up. I'm keeping you children apart. He is a very ill little boy. I've worked too hard and too long to keep him alive. To have him killed by one pig-headed, meddlesome little girl like you. Also, one thing we didn't mention, there is a secret passageway in Mary's room for her to get out of it (laughs) when she gets locked in it. Does Medlock not know it's there, or does she not think, or does she think Mary doesn't know? I was going to say, does she think that Mary... 
just didn't just can't find it all because it's under a tapestry in the wall like, like when you were locked in your room all the all the the only thing to do is climb the walls right yeah of yeah. course she's gonna find out there's a secret door I finally got out yeah I finally got out so they're able to sneak out and do whatever they want anyway right yeah she and Colin sneak out of the mansion because I guess that Colin also knows his back way out of his room mm-hmm. I'm sure he's got a little hidey hole oh, secret passage that one sequence where he actually walks to her room yeah. in the middle of the night all by himself yeah like he's practicing and he and Mary like breaks into Craven's office and finds all these old pictures of their moms together when they were younger and their parents when they were younger and they just spend the night in bed together looking at all these pictures. It's so nice. Yeah. And so, yeah, now they are trying to, um, (laughs) I don't know, guys. Guys, if you let children in nature for long enough, they will become witches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mary and Colin sneak out of the mansion and they meet Dickon on the ground somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the th- what the hell they think they're going to be able to do. This is Mary's suggestion, right? Because they can't contact Archie, so they're going to try and summon him through this ritual that Mary knows of from India, I guess? I don't even think it's that. I think this is something they made up. I really do. I think Mary probably saw things like it. When she was living in India, but doesn't know what any of it means. I don't know what language they think they're chanting when they're doing this. Oh, no. They're standing around a fire, and Mary's holding a couple of torches, and the boys are dancing, and Colin is chanting, and the subtitles literally say, chanting gibberish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, They're just dancing around this fire trying to summon, you know, Archie back to the manor. I, I don't know what they think they're doing. I love the shot panning up into the sky from them down below, like them just like holding their arms up in this big fire going. But here's the thing. It apparently works. Because we translate into this dream sequence that Archie is having. Yeah, he's at a hotel in France, asleep in the lobby. This is disturbing to me. Oh, it is disturbing. Because it's this, it's, it's his wife. It's Lady Craven. It's Lilius. That's her name. And she's in the garden and there's all this smoke around her. Yeah. And like the way her voice is distorted. Archie on a plateau somewhere yelling back. Yikes, and he gets <laughs> he gets disturbed awake. <laughs> He's like, oh my god, I have to go home immediately. And I'm like, oh my god, the great magic worked? What? What did these kids manifest? I'm telling you, you let kids around nature long enough, (laughs) they will become witches. And so Craven arrives at the manor, and the house is in a tizzy, because they weren't expecting him. Yeah. Normally, (laughs) Nedlock, when she's... 
his lordship has arrived. And Medlock is like, what the fuck? And is like, get me out of this apron. <laughs> she, can't, she can't contain herself. Get me out of it. Yeah. She's panicking. And like, she's like at his side the whole time as he's walking through the house. And she's like, we weren't expecting you so soon. And Lord Craven is like, I need to see my son. And Medlock is like, Okay. <laughs> we go we go to Colin's room. He's not there. Uh-uh. He snuck out. And like so they're out on the ground somewhere and Medlock is like, uh-huh, um <laughs> He was right here, I swear. He really should be here. What's happened? It's that child, my lord. She's created absolute havoc here. I've tried to control her. She must be sent away, my lord. She'll kill Master Colin, for sure. Take me to her room. She has no regard for his fragile state of health. She does just as she pleases. And he's like, okay, take me to her. Yeah. Okay. And so we go to Mary's room. And the way he literally, she's unlocking the door and he's like, you lock her in? Uh, yeah. And she's like, she's that much of a disturbance, my lord. And we walk into her room. Guess who's not in her room? <laughs> because there's a door in the wall. <laughs> and like, listen, how embarrassing. Yeah. And he's she like, had one job. Archie's getting upset. Yeah. He's like, is anyone that you're in charge of where they're supposed to be? <laughs> Martha is, because Martha is at the door. Martha's like, hey, they're probably outside. And the look on Medlock's face. She had one job, keep those kids safe and in line. Martha is leading Archie down the stairs to lead him outside to where they are. But I've done my best, sir. I really have. But with that child defying me at every turn. Silence, Medlock. She's just a child. I left you in charge. I resign, sir. I'll leave today. He's like, listen, shut the fuck up. You're being way too overbearing about this. Oh, no. And self-important about this. The high drama of it all. She's so embarrassed, she dismisses herself. I resign, sir. I'll leave today. Oh, and the tissues. The compassion of Martha who is treated very badly by Medlock to try and console her in that moment. Yeah, I think... I love Martha. I love Martha, too. I think this movie, this adaptation of this story, takes a very forgiving uh, stance on Medlock. Um, I think a little too forgiving. Um, it's the same in A Little Princess. It is the same in A Little Princess. With Minchin. Yeah. With Minchin. Oh, Minchin and Medlock. Minchin and Medlock. They could pre- They could be sisters. Yeah, they could. And, like, I just... I think it's the Maggie Smith of it all. Like, I don't think I want to believe that she was taking any actual sinister role in keeping that child sick. Yeah. But I also understand how... Her importance being wrapped up in that job. She just feels like she's done everything she could to make this go how it's supposed to go. And she still feels like a failure. So the kids are in the secret garden playing that game where you blind... Is this just hide and seek with a blindfold? Yeah, it's... Yeah. (laughs) Because I just wrote, playing that game where you blindfold someone and spin them in circles and they're somehow expected to find you. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, here's Craven. Yeah, like Craven goes into the garden and he sees Colin alone 
in the middle of the garden, like waving his arms, looking for Marion Dickin. And Craven goes up to him. He's so speechless. This is a boy that he was told probably would never walk. Yeah. And now, and he's believed it for so long and convinced himself so long that that was going to be the way it was. Colin knows he's standing there, thinks it's one of the kids, and he's reaching out, still blindfolded, touching him. Touching his face. Reaches yeah. up to touch his face. And then he knows it's not the kids, so he takes the blindfold off. And they set eyes on each other. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry again. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's merited. You're here. The magic worked. Dickon is crying. I am crying. Mary's mad. Mary's mad. And like Mary is running away because uncle and cousin are having a nice moment. Yeah. And once again, everybody's forgotten about Mary. Nobody wants me. And I'm like, honey, your feelings are valid. Yeah. Guys, remember the beginning of the movie when she was talking about how angry she was, that she didn't know how to cry. Mm -hmm. When Dickon finds her, she is crying. Yeah. That heartbreak. It's a real Cameron Diaz in the holiday moment. Oh, no. <laughs> Not the crying. Amanda Woods. Yes, it's a real Amanda Woods moment. And, like, Craven finds her sitting there just outside the garden. She's like, don't be mad at me. You said I could plant in that garden. I know it was basically like a graveyard, but you said I could have it because you didn't want it. And he's like, you're right. You're right. You're right. I never wanted to see it again. You never wanted to see Colin. You brought us back to life, Mary. You did something I thought no one could do. Don't be afraid. I won't shut it up again. Believe me. Oh! Fuck. Oh, I know. The feelings. Uh-huh. The feelings. She drew that out of him. Yeah. She drew him out of that grief by breathing new life into that garden and into his boy. Her character development is so interesting to me. Yeah. Because she starts out that very shallow, tight-ass person. I like to think that her character is developed by the garden. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like It's she, symbiotic. It's, it's like she went into that garden and became a little different every time she went in. And she made that garden a little different by being She in gave it. back to it, yeah. yeah. She gave back to that energy that was giving to her. Oh, it's so nice. In that garden. And she's a better person for it. And like, you know, Colin Same comes with out. Colin. Yeah, Colin. Colin is going to thrive from now on. Yeah. And, like, Dickon gets on the horse and rides back to the manor. He is the best boy. He is the best boy. <laughs> and he calls Martha and the rest of the staff to the window. And as Craven, Mary, and Colin are walking back towards the manor, they're all gobsmacked. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, <laughs> Colin can walk now? Like... The look on Medlock's face. Master Colin. Master Colin. He's walking. 
See, that's what makes me feel like they took a sympathetic view on her because she's happy to see that he's walking. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like this is the end of her life because he can walk now. It's, yeah, it's not like she's like, mm, meh, he's walking. Meh, I have no more power. Meh. She's you know? genuinely happy for him. Yeah, Medlock, you get a pass. <laughs> I'm sorry, you get a pass from me. Oh my God. Maybe just be a little nicer to Mary, you know? Yeah, and you know what? Mary does give us a very very positive closing narration. This ends so abruptly. It does, but <laughs> I, I do like the way she wraps it up for us. The spell was broken. My uncle learned to laugh, and I learned to cry. The secret garden is always open now. Open, and awake, and alive. If you look the right way, you can see that the whole world is a garden. Cue the Linda Rodstadt. <laughs> Is that who sings this end credits too? Yeah, it's the song's called uh, Winterlight. Oh my god, it's so. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like the shot panning out on the moor of Dickon riding his white horse across the moor. Oh. It's very nice and very serene. I just love that last line. Like the whole world is a garden. You just have to breathe new life into it, right? Mary, you were ahead of your time, BB. Oh, my God. Ugh. And, guys, that movie is so special. So spooky and so, so beautiful. So spooky and special and beautiful for so many reasons. The way she was able to literally resurrect an entire moor. Yeah, she like it, it always makes me think of... I'm sorry. It makes me think of Wild Wild Country. Oh, God. When Sheila's like, we are life affirmative, not life negative. Yeah, like Mary was very life affirmative for that place. Mm -hmm. It's because like she, I feel like it's because she went, she came to this new place, thought her life was going to be different. And then it was just more of the same with a different color scheme. <laughs> we brought nature back to this place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, the independence she learns is so valuable, especially for the little girls that this book was aimed at mm -hmm. and written for. Her entire experience in that on that moor is so empowering. I feel like little girls, at least um, in relation to our society and how they're conditioned, I feel like little girls have shared experiences of not being wanted. I mean, when you learn about history, you hear about how all all people want is a boy. Yeah, a boy who can, like, inherit and have sons. And, you know, it's like, uh, remember in uh, I mean, Mad Men when, um, I don't remember who it is. It's one of the dads who's like, uh, 50 if it's a girl, 100 if it's a boy. Yeah, exactly. Ew! And, like, I mean, think about Henry VIII. Yep. He kept killing his wives because they kept producing daughters. Like, for crying out loud. And I mean, like, I feel like that's in this, like, I feel like that's evident in this story, too. But, like, in a different way, like, Colin was a boy, but still wasn't wanted. Yeah. Or, well, he was wanted, but, like, hidden from view. Mm -hmm. And Mary wasn't wanted by her parents. It's it's a very hard subject to deal with. Yeah. And then you put the subject of grief on top of it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a lot to process. But Agnieszka... You did a beautiful job, sweetheart. Like, uh, you absolutely did. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And I love this story because, like, 
the like like you were saying, girls were not wanted. And so girls really had a hard time scraping together their little corner of the world for themselves. A bit of earth. Yeah. Having something that's just your own. That's so important to little girls. Mm -hmm. It's why we keep diaries. We keep secrets for ourselves that are just for us. So that you can have some sort of human currency. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of what Gloria Stewart says at the end of Titanic. A woman's heart is a deep ocean of secrets. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And in the same way, the garden is Mary's heart, growing and thriving again. Fuck. I know. Sorry, I I, I don't mean to be crude. I'm just like, damn. It also taught me that the mourning process, the sadness, the grief does not last forever. Winter ends. Yeah. Spring comes. What did I say earlier? Yeah. I always think that life is over around March time and then things start to grow again. Yeah. That winter of grief passes and you can start nurturing yourself again and begin anew. There's always a day where it's a little bit warmer and you can smell the earth again and the sun hits me on the face and I just sob. When the sun hits me and warms up and I can smell the earth, I just uncontrollably sob because I know that life isn't over and it's going to start again. Damn. (laughs) Sorry. Heavy. (laughs) Heavy. Okay. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sick of this. Guys, thanks so much that we did it. We did The Secret Garden. Yeah. I love that movie, Carrie. I know. Thanks for picking it. Happy birthday. Thank you. And you know what, Carrie? (laughs) Life doesn't end at 30. (laughs) No, no, it doesn't. (laughs) It's actually kind of just beginning for you. Isn't that wild? You've already been through so much in your life, and it's actually just now beginning. It does give me hope. Yeah. In keeping with our theme next week, week after next, uh, we're going to do another movie that Ross annoyingly pointed out is kind of similar in theme. I mean, yeah, it is. (laughs) It's literally, it's not the same exact story. But it's similar themes, just in a different time <laughs> yeah, no. and place. I promise you guys I did not pick two movies about little girls dealing with death on purpose. <laughs> but you did. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> anyway, what are we doing? Guys, next week we will be covering the heartbreaking 1991 film, My Girl. Guys, if you thought I cried this week... oh. Oh, you've not se- you've not heard anything yet. Oh, this is like bridge to Terabithia levels of sad. I can't uh, handle I w- it. I wasn't that sad. At the end uh, of bridge to Terabithia, I, I knew what was coming. <laughs> it's just Anna Sophia Rob. You're a monster. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my god. So look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K I C K N S T R E A M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little birthday watch party this month. Guys, don't forget, go check out on the timeline. I published the first episode of John Adams to the main feed. Oh my God, guys. Let's do Ross Does of the American Revolution through the eyes of HBO's John Adams. Adams. Guys, get a little taste of what we're doing over on the Patreon. It's a lot of fun over there. And it's a lot of work, so <laughs> consume the content, please. 
more quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. mom.